Welcome, my friends, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the Tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Greetings, Tomb Believers. You're listening to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I'm Trey Lawson. With me here is James Hickson and... Uh, uh, Hello! James, James? Yeah? The Necronomicon? Yeah! W- why are we messing with the Necronomicon again? Well, you know, I thought it'd be nice for some light summer reading. Also, we're doing an issue of Marvel Team-Up this week, so I thought it'd be fun to bring John Wilson back. He was nice. We should we should talk. Very to him. nice. Yeah, we should definitely call him back. Tell you what, but I th- what what d- d- does that require arcane incantations? Yeah, and I might need the blood of a virgin. Oh, well, that's awkward. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll 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 try to do without. What's the worst that could happen? Okay, let me just flip to the right page. Ah, here it is. Uh, Klatu Brata Nectai uh, Dormammu so- What? What the heck? This this isn't my palatial podcast studio in the Bay Area. What's going on? Where am I? You're not John Wilson. John Wilson? No, that I'm Mike Kaiser. John Wilson's my uh, podcast partner. I was just about to record with him. Where the heck am I? Um, well, we call it the Tomb of Ideas. We do a Marvel Horror podcast. Oh. Maybe you've heard of us? You know, I think I remember him being scarred for life over this. That that sounds about right. That checks out. That's usually how it works. Okay, great. So now I'm stuck in here, huh? Until we find the right incantation, sure. Okay, well... What do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> Well, we were going to talk about this issue of Marvel Team-Up that has Werewolf by Night in it. Oh, well, if you want to talk about werewolves, I have another comic we could talk about. Really? What is it? What's that? Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, it's a Captain America comic because he's known for his horror stories, right? <gasps> is it Cap-Wolf? Uh, maybe we could save that for later. Actually, I was thinking a little earlier than Cap Wolf. Huh. Oh. Um, this is Captain America number 164, so this is, like, prime 70s Cap. Interesting. Oh. Yeah, that that fits with uh, the other books we're looking at, actually. I mean, we are in the 70s. That makes sense. Oh, well, hey, that really worked out, didn't it? I'm glad I uh, was abducted. Um... Yeah, so you guys want me to talk about it, or? Well, uh, so let's just go over the list we're talking about this week. Okay. This week we're going to talk about Captain America, 164, Werewolf by Night, number 8, and Marvel Team-Up, number 12, all from August 1973. That was a big month for werewolves, it seems. It really is, yeah. I was going to say, that's I, I sense a theme here. And two out of three are the same werewolf, but not this one. All right, well, we'll talk about that after this quick message. Boy Who Cried Werewolf. 
figment of a boy's imagination or true. Here's the rest of it. Something must have come down out of the hill. Pullman, bear, wolves maybe. Okay, so Captain America number 164, or should I say Captain America and the Falcon at this point in his title. Cover dated August 1973, and the story is called Queen of the Werewolves, written by Steve Englehart. Yes. Artist Alan Lee Wise, who I guess is a uh, guest artist here. Usually it's, I think, Sal Buscema at this point in the run. Letterer John Costanza, and colorist is Jim Starling. Yeah, that Jim Starling, I guess. And it opens with Captain America dying, essentially. He's in like this, what looks to be like some sort of, well, we later find out it's a prison, but it kind of looks like a castle to me. And anyway, there's these two people way off in the distance watching as a pit full of werewolves essentially shred Captain America to pieces. And he's screaming and crying and asking to please have mercy on him and don't let it end this way. And he refers to someone named Nightshade and basically begs until he dies, at which point this nightshade lady comes out and she's like full-on 70s leather bikini with a gun on her hip and i guess she controls these werewolves and she's like good job babies now why don't you just throw him away which i guess means toss him out of the castle or the prison and as they're doing that fear not readers because it turns out it's not really cap the mask falls off and it's some dude with superman blue black hair so That was just a test run, I guess. We cut to the real Cap, and he is laughing like a crazy person, kind of. He and Falcon are riding around on motorcycles, and Cap is just super happy because right now, in this period of his life, things are going great. His old World War II girlfriend, Peggy, is happy adjusting or something, and his new girlfriend, Sharon, is also happy, and he's got this cool partner named Falcon, and life is good. Meanwhile, Falcon's not so happy because the reason they're, they're driving around is because his best friend from childhood, some guy named Mel, who he, like, did everything together, wrote him a letter from prison because, unfortunately, at some point, their lives went separate directions, and, you know, Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon, took the right path, and Mel took all the wrong paths, and he ended up in prison. And something really bad is happening to him in prison to where he had to smuggle out a letter to get to Sam and ask for Sam's help. So that prison is called Grimrock. Falcon and Cap arrive, 
it looks kind of deserted. They're kind of wondering what the heck's going on with this prison. There's no security or anything. Weird. Falcon doesn't care. He just wants to get in there and save his friend Mel. So Cap's like, you know what? You go on in. I'll back you up, partner, like 10 minutes later just to make it dramatic. So we cut to Cap's point of view. We don't know what happens to Falcon. He just goes in and never comes back out. So Cap finally goes in there. And he's kind of wandering around. It's like this dark Arkham Asylum kind of prison. And he finds the mask of that guy who got tore up in the first few pages. And he's like, okay, this is weird. That's my mask. What's it doing on the floor? And just as he's thinking that, his keen super soldier senses alert him to the fact that there's like 20 werewolves climbing in the raptors about to jump on him. And they do. And he gets into a big fight. But luckily, he's a one-man army. He does a really good job of beating them up to the point where they all get scared and run away because they've never fought anybody that actually knows how to fight, I guess. At which point, the Deadly Nightshade makes her appearance again. Cap is kind of like into her, it seems like, or at least somewhat attracted or interested. And she sort of like tells him, come on, follow me, you big hunk. And he's like, why should I trust you? And she's like, well, because I've imprisoned your friend. And he's like, what, Sam? So she leads him to a like a prison dungeon room. And there he is. The Falcon is like chained up against the wall. And before he can get to him, the werewolves under the bidding of, you know, Nightshade inject him with something, a serum. So Cap goes running in there, they lock the door, leaving the two of them locked together, at which point Sam turns into a werewolf, which is no bueno, because then he starts trying to kill his friend Cap. Cap, of course, doesn't want to hurt him too bad, but he has to fight back as hard as he can because Falcon is huge now and muscular and scary and trying to kill him. So meanwhile, oh, while she's watching, Cap manages to figure out how to escape out of the room. Basically, he like punches the door a couple times until it weakens it and then he essentially lets werewolf falcon like ram into him which knocks the doors over so now he's escaped she's kind of freaking out and then it turns out that there's someone else in the room with her and that is the return of yellow claw yellow claw has apparently been backing her not only financially but giving her the chemicals she needs to make these prisoners into werewolves he says you know what you assured me these werewolves were unbeatable but here's cap not only beating 20 of them earlier but now he's beating falcon werewolf too so i'm going to withdraw my money and my support because you're just kind of a waste of my time she freaks out and complains about you know how she's never noticed and this was her one chance to be important i guess I guess she's like a scientist who is overlooked or something. And she tries to shoot the yellow claw, but he just takes an elevator and leaves. At this point, Nick Fury shows up. And we can get into that outfit later. But Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos, or Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. show up. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong era. And she's like, well, they're not going to capture us, my wolf babies. If, 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 if we can't beat them, we're not going to be taken alive either. So she pretty much orders all the werewolves to like leap off the top of the prison building slash castle and this includes falcon too who was just finally beaten by cap he managed to uh strike a judo chop nerve in his neck and knock him out but so now all these wolves are like rushing cap and they rush right past him and they start just leaping off the edge like lemmings including including the deadly nightshade and that's this is of course when falcon werewolf wakes up he also tries to leap off because he's under her control but cap like holds on for dear life think of it like you know bucky trying to escape from a helicopter that's kind of the scene here is he's like just straining and holding him and grabbing onto all the fur he can grab until finally like i guess he just does this for what seems like maybe hours because he finally gets to gets to be daylight and 
And Falcon turns back to Falcon. He says, hey, what the heck just happened? Cap's happy and says, I'll explain it to you later. And then Nick Fury shows up and he says, well, there's one thing for certain. The Yellow Claw has returned and it ends on a cliffhanger. But the second part has nothing to do with werewolves. Man, what a wild issue. Yeah. This one's crazy. You know, it's weird as I must have read this before, but I have no memory of reading this before. So... It doesn't really stick in the brain, I guess. I know read the essential from this era, mm-hmm. so I must have read this story before. But I don't know. Maybe it was too trippy for my brain to retain. Right. Well, the thing is, like Engelhart. When you say Engelhart, you think of like the two big ones are the '50s Cap return, and then Cap Cap quitting and becoming Nomad, and then there's all these little filler things in between, and this is one of them. That I that I guess we just blow through, getting to those better stories. And I, I I don't know it's 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 got some things that feel very much like a cap or even a shield story right. of this era like werewolves aside that opening scene is like something out of the beginning of a James Bond movie you know the the fake out of killing the hero and then it's revealed to be practice literally yeah I honestly thought that I had missed an issue when I was looking for stuff to cover for the show and like this was a continuation of a previous issue with werewolves mm-hmm. yeah and it's a that by itself is a pretty fun fake out like it, it it does exactly what it's supposed to do I think yeah it worked for me I mean you could kind of tell almost immediately that he's a little too uh, bagish for Captain America yeah like don't kill me please but then you're just like wow what's going on with this with our with our man like something's bad's happening oh no it's not him never mind Right. I will say the atmosphere was off the charts in this issue. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, like, I'm kind of glad that Sal Buscema didn't draw this because I have a feeling this Alan Wise guy did a better job of, like, the horror elements of this book, this issue. Yeah. Than than Sal Buscema would have done. He's more of a Kirby clone, kind of. So, yeah, I like this. Mm hmm. And I like the coloring a lot. I appreciate, I like how the, the werewolves are all sort of different colors and shades they're not just all brown now now from a a i don't know i'm not really like i don't know maybe you guys probably abducted the wrong person because i'm not super into horror or monsters necessarily but like from a werewolf traditional standpoint do you feel like these guys are werewolves or do they seem more like weird cherub demon things or something they seem more like beast men do you remember this almost like you know you know the mad monk stories from batman Mm -hmm. oh god don't remind me yes the werewolf vampire? Yeah. yeah. It, it seems a bit more like something he'd create. Uh-huh. Honestly, some of them remind me of, like, creations of the Jackal in Spider-Man comics. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you bring up the monk because I was thinking as I read this, like, I kind of made fun of that. Like, you know, Cap's not really known for horror. But then I was thinking, actually, though, if you read his Golden Age stuff... Much like a lot of Golden Age stuff, the villains are just crazy horror, kind of, like, weird villains. And then I thought, this story could be a cool Golden Age story. Like, I could easily see, you know, Bucky being turned into a werewolf that he has to beat up. And this weird lady who doesn't really have much of an origin or a plot, like, being behind it all. And Yeah, so then when I was reading it, I kind of enjoyed it, because it reminded me of, like, an old 40s story. Yeah, and then of course when uh, Roy Thomas went back with uh, the Invaders, uh, he did Baron Blood, 
So yeah, there, there right. is this weird sort of horror strain through the Captain America stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I will note that, you know, we note that Captain America isn't really known for horror, but apparently this is what he was born for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's born for fighting. There was actually a really bad, not a bad line, but like a line in here that was kind of depressing. Like, unless he's beating the crap out of people, he's unhappy or something, it says. It's like, well, that sounds sad. Oh, he's only truly alive when he's close to dying. That's what it said. It's like, really? That sounds actually kind of like psychologically bad, maybe. Not healthy. Yeah. There are a few points in this book where Cap looks just a bit crazed. Including where we first see him. He's just like, ha 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 ha! Introduce him to new things. Yeah. Yeah, full on like Adam West laughing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember my first round of marijuana too. Yeah. <laughs> Falcons introduce him to new things. Yeah, it's just like that was a little weird. And it also looked at first I thought they were on bicycles, so that just made the scene even weirder. Me too. I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> it's like, are they just riding on bicycles in the park laughing? Because this is weird. And it's partly because it doesn't look like Cap is sitting on his no. motorcycle. Like he's like standing on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. As though he's pumping pedals. I think the green engine also blends in with the trees, so it just looks like a bike frame on that first panel. Yeah. I don't know. It gets a little better as they go, but yeah, that might be one downside of the art is like the facial expressions on Cap are a little bonkers sometimes. But then we get like really good facial expressions like on the page where the werewolves are waiting in the rafters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good scene. It's really good. Yeah. But he picks up the mask. He's like, oh, something screws going on. He's like, oh. There's someone behind me. Lots of someone's, in fact. Yeah. Oh, look on his face where he's just waiting for the fight. It reminds me of the elevator scene from uh, Winter Soldier. Yeah. And, and even though I, I, I praised the coloring on, on the werewolves, uh, it's really effective that they're sort of blending in with the shadows there. It's just a good, like, three pages because then you get them all swarming on him. And then there's that, even though it's, like, bad dialogue psychologically, like, the close-up of him, like, being overwhelmed only to, like kind of just own it mm -hmm. and go at him. That's all That's all pretty good horrific stuff there. I wonder if Mishima did the face there. Maybe. It's like a Mishima face. I can't remember who inked this. Uh, oh, he nobody. He did. Uh, Alan Weiss did. Yeah. Alan Weiss did. Yeah. But I'm wondering if maybe Mishima did, went and did touch-ups, because we saw that in our last episode with the Tales of the Zombie where they did a reprint from Menace Number 5, and it's pretty obvious that Bashima went in and, like, modernized a bunch of the outfits. Either that or Ramita was, like, I think still the, the head guy at the office, uh, and I think sometimes he went over people, too. I, I could see that it, if it wasn't close enough to the house style, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's still good. She throughout is good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I, I thought Nightshade's motivations seemed flimsy yes like nightshade's whole thing is just like not really developed i guess she's just a one-off character we never see again because she kills herself unless she comes back but she actually does come back of course because it's comics but yeah 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 um, so like, she becomes actually a fairly major both captain america and luke cage villain yeah so speaking of golden age that's a total motivation of every scientist in the golden age and silver age like i will be i need i need notoriety so the best way to achieve that is to become a villain. Right. Right. And that's pretty much her whole thing here is, like, I want to be important. 
So I spent years developing a serum that could turn prisoners into werewolves. <laughs> and that's all she could think of to do with it is kill Captain America, I guess, to prove to Yellowclaw or something. I don't even not even sure why she has to kill Captain America exactly. But Yeah, I guess Yellowclaw isn't happy unless his army of werewolves can kill a super soldier. But like right? and then he and then he's like, Oh, well, they can be defeated. This is nuts. I quit. And then I'm thinking, yeah, but like, do you think these werewolves can beat, I don't know, Thor or Spider-Man or pretty much anybody else that's stronger than Cap? Like, this is a weird bar, I guess. Of course right. of course, they aren't going to take over the world with 12 werewolves. But and, and, If there's a problem with this book, it's that one-two punch of Nightshade not being terribly compelling and Yellowclaw just being as offensive as always. <laughs> yeah, You know, despite him being so offensive, the scene where he shows up is really good. It, I like, like his interaction with her. Like, he just doesn't care that he's ruining her life. Yeah, I mean, he's he's written... The, he's Marvel's Ming the Merciless, and that's mm-hmm. yes. that's sort of how he talks, and that always works for me. Kind of wanted to make me read... It wanted to make me read the next issue again, but I, I didn't, so maybe I'll yeah. do that someday, just to <laughs> see what happens with him. Well, you guys will get there in the show eventually, right? Oh, sure, 2028, something <laughs> like that. But, you know, part of it is when you realize just how young she is. Uh-huh. She's like maybe 16 at best. Yeah, he even says that. He's like, oh, she's just a little girl. Yeah. Posing as a grown-up. Like, because she, she's sitting there like, not only is she in a scantily clad, horribly inappropriate 70s Barbarella outfit, but like, then she like, when she talks to Cap, all the poses are her like thrusting her hip out or looking at her butt or, you know, just things to like try and tease him. Yeah. And so then he's just going like, okay, she's a kind of a weird, immature supervillain. Yeah, the tone of that scene is, is odd. Mm-hmm. Well, he realizes that she's a little girl playing dress up. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because of the way she's standing and when she talks to him, I think. Or acting. And, and it, and it kind of seems like it's as awkward for Cap as it is for us as the readers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, he does not know what to do with that situation. He's not and much with, of a player. And with that, you can kind of understand her motivations there, because she's obviously brilliant mm-hmm. and a teenager. And, let's be honest, African-American in the 1970s, she's probably not given as much opportunity as she would perhaps really be due. Mm-hmm. Because she's obviously, like... Mm-hmm near genius level intellect here if she's making serums that turn men into werewolves boy i'm surprised they missed the opportunity to have the falcon comment on that very thing you just said yeah because that's usually his role in these books right it it seems like a missed opportunity i don't know if that's just inglehart not being terribly interested in exploring that kind of stuff or what but but yeah. I feel like it comes up when she comes back i was gonna say any other cap issue i would i would expect that to come up yeah, to be fair, he's a little busy being a werewolf, so right. hard to hard to talk. The man. Right. And that, I think, brings us to the weirdest Nick Fury appearance I have ever seen. So yeah. does anybody have an explanation for this? Because I sure don't. Um all no. I've, I've all I've got is Dread Pirate Fury. But, like, did this... Usually there's a caption that says, see, you know, something. Like, where is he coming from that he looks like this right now? Right. I heard this was a furry con. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like he heard there's a bunch of werewolves, so he's going to dress the part or something. <laughs> Right, like he seems to be wearing Monster of Frankenstein's vest, mm-hmm. um, and pirate boots. Furry pirate and, boots. Yeah. This couldn't possibly be his standard outfit right now, could it? I've never seen this before. No, it no. can't. Okay, so this must be coming from somewhere, but they don't reference it, which is weird. Uh, listeners, if you know the reason Nick Fury is dressed like this, please let us know. Message us at tombofideas at gmail dot com. Or our Twitter, at Tomb of Ideas, because Jesus, we really need to know. Yeah. I, 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 could it have, maybe it was supposed to be someone else, and they changed their minds and made it Fury after the fact? Uh, maybe. What else could it be? Also, what is with these shield uniforms? Yeah, none of it looks right. That's what I'm none saying. Of it, and like, that's what I'm saying. It's just maybe, a, maybe... a regular helicopter? That's weird. For shield. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Maybe this was supposed to be some other strike team or something. I can't think of who it would be, though. Yeah. Maybe, like, Captain Savage, which I don't really know anything about yet, because I'm not to that point in my reading, but still. I guess we could chalk this up to it being a a, a guest artist. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. That's so bonkers, though. It is so wild. Yeah. If... If you guys have no idea what we're talking about, uh, when this episode goes up, I'm going to try and remember to post a picture of that panel with weird Nick Fury with furry vest and pirate boots, because it has to be seen to be believed. It really does. Also, he's holding an Uzi in one hand, or a space Uzi in one hand, and a revolver in the other. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And has, I count, at least three knives on his belts. Yep. Yeah, it's weird. That really threw me. Oh, that's fantastic. It's just all <laughs> kinds of bonkers issue, and I love it so much. <laughs> I, But I do really like the page that comes after that, where it almost looks like Cap is dance fighting. Uh-huh. West Side Story style? When, yeah. When, when you're a jet? Yeah. Halfway expect him to start snapping in between punches. Yeah. Um, I will say, um, the page after that, that yeah. isn't ads, um, where Nightshade is throwing herself from the tower is really good. Yeah. And all the rest of them follow. Like, thud, 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 it says. Oh, yeah. That oh, was yeah. really horror. That was horror right there. All these people just dying. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I like the bit where Cap's, like, trying to desperately to stop the Falcon from killing himself also. That was just a good... Good drama yeah. right there. And, and your comparison to the... the, hell, the uh, scene with winter soldier makes a lot of sense like that yeah he's just sitting there flexing essentially it's exact same sort of tone and and emotion from the character now it doesn't say but like i'm i don't know time is hard to figure out in comics but like it seems like the falcon was just injected and it also seems like they got there in the daytime so it's like is he even is he holding falcon for hours on this bridge but then if you say that's true then where the heck was nick that whole time just doing nothing so i don't know and and he was given a double dose so you'd think it would last longer yeah but i also said something like by morning it always wears off and everybody goes back to normal or something just just so that the falcon doesn't have to be a werewolf forever but I, i do enjoy that like Cap has clearly been like struggling to save his friend's life for some length of time. Yeah, and and Fury's just sitting there having a smoke break. Yeah, yeah, because everybody's dead. So what's he doing? True, and, for- you know, all those troops he has with them could help. Right. Hey, 
You know what I just thought of? Why does Cap know that the Yellow Claw has returned? I have no idea. At what point did he see the Yellow Claw? Un- unless Nightshade mentions him, and I missed it. I don't think Hold she up. does. But I'm looking now. Did Falcon see him? No. Because the werewolf and, and Cap break out of that room, but not into the room that Yellow Claw is in. Oh, he says, not if what I heard Nightshade say is true. Yeah. Because he, So did she say that in front of him? I must have missed that. No. She doesn't? Yeah. I don't know. That was a weird little slap on there at the end. Here, like, when she sees him, when he... Oh, no. But that's not good enough for the Yellow Claw. Oh, okay. My, yeah, he's approaching the tower, and it's like, my darlings, it's the end. You've served me faithfully, as anyone could ever ask. But that's not good enough for the Yellow Claw. So he could have heard that. Yes, he could have heard that because she's okay. obviously loudly monologuing. All right. Well, there you go. They got away with it. Yeah. But also really good look at Cap here on the last page where he's mm-hmm. saying the Yellow Claws returned. With a weird uh, Nick Fury smoking behind him. Yeah. Like, I, I still can't get over that. <laughs> he doesn't look like Nick Fury. He looks like Nick Fury from an alternate reality where everybody's still barbarians or something. Right. <laughs> I read that Avengers issue. Yeah, yeah. Yaum in America. Nick Fury trapped in the Savage Land for six months. Yeah. But I don't know. I enjoyed this issue more than I thought I would. I don't know why. I thought, like, well, if I'm, I can't even remember it. This must be horrible. But I read it, and it was like, actually, that was a pretty cool horror yarn. You know? I mean, a one-off. It doesn't doesn't change significantly. It doesn't change, like, Falcon or Cap, I imagine, in any way whatsoever. But just as a one-off story, it was pretty cool. But we do get a sequel to this issue. That's true, too. Yes. Perhaps but I imagine the werewolf has nothing to do with it. Uh, actually, um, the werewolf does have something to do with the actual sequel to this, because I think he does show up in the Capwolf storyline. Yeah. Okay. And then the the, the famous Capwolf story gets its own sequel um, not that long ago, actually. Uh, when Sam Wilson was Captain America, he had his own Capwolf story. And he became a werewolf again? Yes. Was, did he go like, oh man, I remember this. You know, I, I really need to revisit it. The, reading this makes me want to go back to it because in that it's uh, Sam Wilson as Cap when he's working with uh, Misty Knight, and so Misty Knight's involved in it. He's like, "Oh no, this is that Nightshade fiasco all over again." <laughs> but yeah, and I, I, I'm wanting to say Nightshade has at least some involvement in all of those storylines. Well, she is the queen of the werewolves, so she oughta. Right. But I think that does it for Captain America. What yeah. we can say, gentlemen? Yeah. Yep. I think so. All right. So fun issue, though. It is a really fun issue. Really yeah. fun issue. So we'll be right back with our next installment, Wolf by Night, number eight, after this message. The moon coming up with a sight to see. Radio's playing for my baby and me, and we're rolling. Rolling on the river. It's a bike you can afford to be seen on, baby. Rolling on the rebel, feeling happy, feeling free. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So... To celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. 
Some of you may have even done it, and now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. <laughs> it's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock in the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our next issue today is Werewolf by Night, number 8. Cover date is August 1973. Written by Lynn Ween. Penciler is Werner Roth. Inks are by Paul Reinman. The colorist is Glennis Ween. The editor is Roy Thomas. Our title for today is The Lurker Behind the Door. We open soon after the end of the previous issue, as the werewolf flees the burning wreckage of Calliope's carnival and circus. The buried consciousness of Jack Russell is momentarily concerned about Lyssa and Buck, but the werewolf's instincts take him into the woods, where some unfortunate campers have left food cooking over a fire. Having not eaten in several days, the werewolf rushes in and devours the meat. His actions startle the two men, who quickly grab their hunting rifles. In the fight, one of the men manages to shoot the werewolf in the head, causing the beast to stumble and fall. The next morning, at the wreckage of the circus, Buck and Lyssa give their statements to the police, but they still can't find any sign of Jack. Some distance away, the rising sun causes the werewolf to transform back into Jack Russell, who awakens with a splitting headache. Jack considers looking for his friends, but realizes that he should wait out the third and final full moon of the cycle. He finds a cave perfect for hiding, and follows the sound of moaning all the way inside to an old locked door. Jack breaks the lock, but only finds a decaying skeleton clutching a diary. To pass the time, Jack reads the diary, which recounts the life of Amos Treach, a pharmacist and warlock. Treach summoned a demon called Krog, but found he was unable to control it. Treach finds a way to imprison the demon, but only by locking himself away with it in the cave. Jack is amused by the story, but dismisses it as fiction. After all, there was no demon in the cave when he broke in. Soon after, Jack takes a nap. Meanwhile, Jack's stepfather, Philip Russell, receives an unwelcome phone call and insists that he wants no part of whatever it is the call is about. Philip is then visited by Lieutenant Hackett of the LAPD, looking to speak with Lyssa on the subject of werewolves. Jack wakes up just in time for the full moon, and he immediately transforms in the, into the werewolf. The werewolf goes in search of food, but is stopped by the demon Krog, who claims gratitude for having been freed. The demon offers to repay the debt by ensuring that the werewolf is killed swiftly. The two creatures do battle, with the more agile werewolves staying just ahead of Krog. The fight is interrupted by the two hunters, whom Krog quickly devours, returning him to full strength. The fight then continues, all the way back to the cave, where Krog's fire breath causes a cave-in, 
seemingly trapping the demon once again inside the cave, leaving the werewolf to continue his search for food. So this is our first issue of Werewolf by Night not drawn by Mike Plug, I think. I think you're right. This is my first issue of Werewolf by Night. Really? Yeah. So what did you think? I gotta say, you know, for eight issues in, um, they did a good job of keeping me not confused. Uh, like, I didn't have a problem understanding what was going on. It, I guess it helps because you've got a narrator that's so strong. Uh, I don't know if they do that in all these issues, but they certainly did it in this one. Yeah, actually, uh, when, when we talked to Roy Thomas about it, he says this was sort of his idea, but, but uh, he wanted uh, the Werewolf by Night stories to have first-person narration. Not a, yes, right. not only that, it's first person, but also he's writing it as if it's well after the fact. So he also knows what's going on with like other people, even though he's not there. Mm-hmm. As In fact, the, ori- the original title for the series was "I Werewolf." Okay, uh, but yeah, Stanley sense. is like, "No, werewolf, werewolf by night, true believer." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like he he's like um you know like the Hulk if Bruce Banner was writing a diary or something. Right. Um, I guess the only part that might seem a little out of nowhere is that brief diversion to the stepfather. Well, it does say who he is, at least. And then I just assumed it was some sort of ongoing issue that we don't know about yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's stuff that it was set up in the first couple of appearances and hasn't really been touched on since. Okay. Yeah. In his origin story, basically, Jack Russell's stepfather may or may not have arranged for the murder of his wife. Mm. So well, he looks like a murderer. Yeah, he's got the a, peak. So yeah, so that they, they they revisit that every third or fourth issue at this point. <laughs> okay, just just reminding you that yes, he exists, and yes, he's still not a great guy. So do we know who's calling him? Supposedly, the guys who hired the guys who he hired to hire the hitman. Oh, um, okay. But we so he's he's still caught up in the drama of this. But it's not clear whether he's really sort of trying to redeem himself or whatever. Okay. Yeah. And it's actually my thinking he might not have actually ordered his wife to be murdered. His wife might have been murdered as an attempt to blackmail him. Right. Mm. It's just not clear. I, I can see that from, from this few panels, yeah. And, and so what does all this murder business have to do with this guy being a werewolf? Is it related or just a separate issue? Um, dealing with his inheritance. Okay. But how did just, he become a werewolf? Um, because he inherited it. In, in, oh. It's genetic. His his, his real father. Oh, okay. His, so it's uh, genetic. His real father was a sorcerer. Yeah, yeah. His real father actually possessed the Darkhold, uh, the Marvel Book of mm. Magic, sort of their Book of Black Magic, and, and so because of that, uh, the the line so instead of becoming a basketball star, he just wanders the woods looking for food. Basically, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, but but also, if you're going to name your kid Jack Russell, you're just asking for him to be a werewolf. <laughs> a tiny werewolf, but a lot of energy. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, it does, I think for new readers, it does help that this is very much sort of a done-in-one kind of story. Yeah, maybe that was it too. But like all the captions like tell you who his sister and his friend are and what they're doing and, you know, what's going on. Uh, oh yeah, we, we stand Buck Cohen yes. in this podcast. Yes. We also ship Buck Cohen and Jack Russell, but, you know, it's the 70s. They couldn't say it outright. Oh, I see. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, But going back to the art real quick, um, since I guess, Mike, you don't have a 
kind of a reference for this. What did you, th- Trey, think of our guest artist, um, Werner Roth? Um, I miss Mike Plug. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, let me let me say this: most of the most of the dialogue scenes are fine. Like the the detail work is fine. The faces are fine. But anytime there was action or supernatural goings on, I missed the the flourishes of Mike Plug, the montages and the transformations. Yeah. So Werner Roth was an artist mostly from the um, 1950s. He worked a lot with Marvel when it was Atlas, and he took over for on X Men after Jack Kirby left the title and worked with um, Roy Thomas there. And Roy Thomas often um, speculated that the reason uh, Roth was not a good fit for X-Men was because he was great at little dialogue and interpersonal scenes, but he really lacked on the action scenes. Mm. Which, you know, when you're replacing Jack Kirby, a bit of a poison pill. And I, I mean, I don't have a reference, like you said, but I also feel like the horror atmosphere is missing, maybe. Um, yeah. Like, if you compare it to just the cat book we just covered, like, that seemed more horrible in a good way than this, in terms of, like, the shadows and the setup and haunting things. And this was just more of a straightforward kind of... I mean, it's totally readable and understandable, but it's not, like, necessarily suited for horror. This could just as easily be Hulk and Sasquatch fighting each other. Right, right, exactly, yeah. There's a lot that happens off-panel. For instance, it's implied that the rabbit became the demon, but really, Mike Plug would have given us some kind of horrible transformation collage from rabbit to demon, and it's implied that um, the demon eats the two hunters, but uh, Plug would have made it a little bit more gruesome. Yeah. Yeah, That in particular really stood out. I was actually very confused about the rabbit because it's there before he goes into the cave. The rabbit is is what he says he can't he can't possess Jack because Jack already has something in him. Right. So then he possesses the rabbit because the rabbit right. starts growling it after he opens the door. Right. Which is which I, is a weird thing for a rabbit to do. But it, it took me a minute to figure that out. Like I wanted yeah. like a close up of the rabbit's eyes glowing or something. That would have been cooler. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought the rabbit was growling at the skeleton, and it was just a rabbit. Right, right. I thought it was just upset because it's yeah. a creepy cave. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, by the way, Amos, when you um, – when you, I, this is another thing maybe where the art is detrimental because I'm not sure exactly if I'm right or not, but is Amos dead outside of the door that was just open or inside of the door? Inside. Inside. He locked himself in so the demon could not escape. Yeah. Okay, because I was going to say, like, maybe put a sign on the door, don't open this. But <laughs> That would make sense. Because the tools like, were outside. So how did he build a door and the tools are on the wrong side? Right. He, he, he opened the door, used himself as bait, and then slammed the door behind him once the demon was in there. Uh, but the padlock is on the outside, which is weird. Yeah. Maybe he had an assistant? I guess. See, he says, and once he was safely within, I did slam shut the chamber door, confining Krog forever. But it doesn't really say I cr- I slammed it shut with me in it. He just says, I sit here and repent. Yeah. I don't know. I thought he was on the outside. And he says, I suppose I shall die here as well. Oh, uh, I guess it makes more sense that he, he's inside, because if he was outside, why does he just sit there and starve to death? That kind of makes no sense. Yeah. So. No, yeah, but, but it was again, it was weird. It's one of those things where we're not shown information that would be helpful. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which makes me again wish for Mike Plug. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, like, the werewolf transformations, which are not bad, but it's, like, a three-panel transition, whereas Plug would have, like, a half-page collage of creepy imagery. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the demon isn't all that cool-looking, in my opinion. He's, like... He's just furry. Sort of generic wind- wendigo with a wolverine haircut. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which I guess evokes the rabbit ears, but also demon horns. Yeah, I'm curious to know if we if we ever see what this guy looks like when he's not possessing a rabbit, <laughs> like because they don't really show him in the flashback. They kind of just show his shadow, right? So we don't know. Which also has basically the same outline. Yes. So does do future issues like so does do future issues like reveal why Captain America is going undercover as Lieutenant Hackett? <laughs> <laughs> or. Well, they've established in previous issues that Hackett used to be this all-American kind of football star kind of guy. Mm. So I guess for Roth, the the shorthand for that is draw Steve Rogers. (laughs) Well, to be fair, you know, generic blonde with chiseled face, I guess that could be a lot of people. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's Hawkeye. True. But it is a very like golden age hero kind of look. Yeah. Although that reminds me of that new Avengers video game. Um, have you seen this? <laughs> I've seen a little bit of it, yeah. Uh, where where they look like they're all the MCU actors' stunt doubles? Yeah. I mean, I like the voice cast. I'm a big fan of Laura Bailey and Travis Willingham from Critical Role, but oh my god, the character designs look so bad there. It's like, let's make Captain America look like that football player everybody hates, and I cannot think of the name of him for God knows. The guy in the Patriots. Oh, um, Bradley, Brady, Brady, Tom Brady. Tom Brady, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, but also his, his like, big, chunky, military-looking armor oh. looks... Mo- it, it reminds me of when U.S. Agent was dressing as Cap again and insisting that everyone call him Cap. I remember that in Invaders with the yeah, Star Shield. Yeah, and all when, that. when they put yeah, the yeah. Invaders back together, yeah. That was a bonkers book, too. Anyway, so does this guy like turn into a werewolf every issue? And does that mean there's like 27 days in between issues sometimes or something? Yeah. Basically. Okay. Yeah. There are the three nights of the full moon, and then the space in between, we don't know what happens. Right. Okay. Although I would be totally down for like a Claremont style, like just everyone hanging out issue. Sure. Oh, actually, as we'll talk about in the Marvel Team Up issue, we actually get the rare transformation outside the full moon. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. So he can't do it on his own. It's like Not yet. Yeah. It's got to be the moon. I think eventually that maybe changes, um, but but for now, it, it's on the lunar cycle. Yep. And as um, Stephen Lacey points out on Fantasticast when he talks about World by Night, all this could be solved by buying a lunar calendar. Right. <laughs> um <laughs> A couple things I will point out from the uh, the letters page. First is that they actually uh, promote the issue of Marvel Team Up. One of the uh, letters asks when the werewolf is going to start meeting some of Marvel's superheroes. And the response is, be sure to check out uh, the current issue of Marvel Team Up. Awesome. Um, but also, uh, it is asked who's going to be uh, taking over writing duties, and, and the writer suggests that Marv Wolfman would be a good fit. I assume for the pun. Uh-huh. Um, but the response from Marvel is, actually, Marv is starting up very soon on Werewolf by Night. Oh, so we're going to have him on both Werewolf by Night and Tomb of Dracula. That's what it looks like. It's kind of cool that all the, all the ads in this are... Frankenstein or Conan, um, not superheroes, because I guess they assume that when you're buying this book, you like other things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't see any superheroes in this as far as ads go. There's Foom. The closest is Foom. Oh. Yep. 
Yeah. That doesn't count. No. <laughs> but yeah, yeah Foom, friend of old Marvel, yeah. Yeah, but even the, the bullpen stuff is all zombies and vampires and werewolves. So I don't know about you guys, but if I'm a hunter and I'm out looking for a wolf that's killing my chickens and I come across this dude and I live, I don't go back out there. That's just my thing. No, no. But they did. They're like, you know what? You know what, Bill? Let's go get two guns and then we can take on this Krog guy. They're also the sort of people who leave food cooking over a giant campfire while (laughs) taking a nap. (laughs) That was weird, too, I thought. Like... What, what the heck? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, Smokey the Bear does not like these guys. But there's also lots of weird nap taking in this issue. Yes. Because Jack Jack just randomly takes a nap until the moon rises. I wasn't sure if that was a thing, because I've heard any others. I wasn't sure if that was a thing with him, like after he turns human, is he just tired? Because it's been a long night? Or, I or suppose. Was that, or was that just a way to get back to the nighttime faster? I, was, I, I think you're right that, that it's more of a time thing, just to skip ahead to the good stuff. Yeah, because he might realize, wait a minute, it's really stupid to just wait here in the middle of the woods. <laughs> it was kind of funny. He opens that door, and he doesn't find anything that he was expecting. You know, Al Capone's whatever closet. And then he's like, well... I guess there's no mystery here, and he goes to leave, and I'm thinking, there's still crazy mystery right now. You just found a door in a cave that was locked and had, like, tools and stuff. And a dead body. How is that not a mystery? Yeah. Like, investigate a little bit. But He does he read the, the journal. Yeah, that's... that. That's he, he was saying that before he finds the dead body, because the rabbit starts growling at the dead body. He, the rabbit finds it for him. Yeah. Now, he's basically the worst Scooby-Doo character. He really is. And it's funny because, um, I don't know if we ever talked about this on the show, but Mike Plug actually got his start in the industry by working on character designs for Scooby-Doo. Oh, that's awesome. Oh. <laughs> he, 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 he basically got his start as a commercial artist by doing those little incidental drawings in between on Scooby-Doo. So that's how he got so good on action and other things. That's funny because this isn't Plug, but this does look like a werewolf that would be on Scooby-Doo, design-wise. Yes. I could see that. Yeah, and even with the different artists, it, it's very much still Plug's design for the, the werewolf. Actually, Krog could totally be a Scooby-Doo bad guy, too. Yeah, he, he's one of the hunters if you rip off the mask. <laughs> so he's just a demon that you can't control, and he like thinks it's a privilege to be killed by him. That's basically his whole motivation. Yeah. Yeah, and he gets away. Do we ever see Krog again? Not to put you guys on the spot, but he does uh, no. get away. I think that's it. He's a he bunny. He's he's again. bunnying around. Which, you know, it, I, I think it'd be kind of hilarious if, like, there's a scene in the future of some book where people are just camping in the woods and like, oh, a cute bunny. I am Krog. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, leave him in bunny form and revive the pet Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Demonic bunny. That is that is good. That's, yeah, I like that. Okay. So, yeah. I, honestly, even though we've been sort of down on the art, this is a lot better than any of those Kane issues. Yeah, this one felt a lot like an old horror anthology. And that might be partially because of the art, because it it, it definitely has this older feel to it. Yeah. Do you mean, do you mean Gil Kane? Uh, no. no. Uh, okay. The, no. The characters in... in of previous issues were both oh, brothers oh. that were named Kane, and they were very oh. bad issues. I was gonna say Gil Kane should probably be able to draw horror pretty good, I would imagine. But um, we've actually not seen him. Wait, no, no, the Dracula, Morbius stuff, right? The Morbius. He did, he did. He did some Morbius stuff. He's he does Dracula at some point. I thought. Nope, but... Dracula's all Gene Colan. 
Oh, Gene Colan. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Gil Kane's Morbius is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as far as sort of one-off monster versus monster books go, I thought it was okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was fine. I don't I don't have the previous seven issues under my belt to you know appreciate whether this is a one-off or a standard fare, but it was cool. Seven issues and God knows how many issues in the Marvel Spotlight. Oh, yeah. Oh, he was in Spotlight forever, yeah. Yeah, and then Ghost Rider was in there, and, and then Damon Hellstrom's going to be in there, and we're just not going to get rid of the Marvel Spotlight for a while. Yeah, no. It, that was basically a horror yeah. book for a while. Got to put him somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think we've sort of exhausted what what there is to say about this issue of Werewolf by Night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, why don't we take a break, and we will be back in just a minute with uh, Marvel Team-Up number 12. When the moon is full, the beast must die. One of you is a werewolf. You must track down the werewolf. One of these eight people is a werewolf. Can you guess which one? 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 One of these eight people will turn into a werewolf. Can you guess who it is when we stop the film for the werewolf break? See it. Solve it. But don't tell. The beast must die. Rated PG. Pretend you're Spider-Man. Your mission, to rescue your friend high above. A job for your Spider-Man web shooter. Flip your secret wristband, take aim, and down slides your man to safety. But wait, there go the bad guys. Reload, take aim, shoot, zap, got him, bring him in. The Spider-Man web shooter supports the weight of toys only, doll and truck not included. Buy fun stuff. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. We're covering our third and final book of the night, Marvel Team-Up number 12, Wolf at Bay. Like the rest of our books this episode, this is from August 1973. Writer is Jerry Conway and Lynn Ween. Penciler is Ross Andrew. Inker is Don Perlin. Colorist is Glynis Ween. Letterer is Charlotte Jeter. Editor is Roy Thomas. Trying to escape the recent death of Gwen Stacy. Peter Parker has taken an assignment in San Francisco to take photos of the crime-fighting duo Daredevil and Black Widow. While swinging across the Golden Gate Bridge as Spider-Man, he is attacked by the Werewolf. After a scuffle dodging bridge traffic, the Werewolf is flung over the side to a seeming doom. Later, now as Peter Parker, our young hero decides to settle his nerves in a local diner, but is further unsettled as everyone in the joint seems to be under a strange trance, taking no notice of things around them. This is proven as all the patrons seem nonplussed as the werewolf burst in, apparently having survived his fall from the bridge and having tracked the wall crawler from there. Their fighting carries outside, shredding Parker's clothes to reveal the Spider-Man costume beneath. Spidey plays Matador and manages to trick the werewolf and knock himself unconscious against a car door. As the sun rises, before the webhead startled eyes, the hairy beast begins to transform back into Jack Russell. Jack explains to Spider-Man that he is in San Francisco with his sister Liza and best friend Buck Cohen. 
Upon their arrival in town, they feel compelled to visit a magic show featuring a seemingly third-rate mystic named Moondark. Despite his boring act, Jack finds that he and his companions are placed in a trance by Moondark, and later, in his dressing room, the mystic manages to force a transformation into the werewolf, despite it being weeks until the next full moon. Next, Moondark creates a portal and instructs the werewolf to attack Spider-Man before the hero can interfere with his plans. Having brought us up to date, Spider-Man and human Jack Russell team up to go to the theater, but upon their arrival, Jack is again transformed into the werewolf and attacks Spider-Man. The fight carries into Moondark's dressing room, where Liza and Buck are held in a trance and the portal to the Golden Age Bridge remains open in a summoning circle. Seeing a chance, Spidey drop kicks Moon Knight, carrying both of them through the portal, closing the portal behind him and releasing Jack, Liza, and Buck from Moondark's control. Meanwhile, at the Golden Gate Bridge, Spider-Man watches the rippling waves under which Moondark has disappeared, before swinging away to go guest star in Daredevil and Black Widow. <laughs> well, they said Frisco too too many times. I'll get that out of the way right Is now. Is that frowned upon? It yes. is. Yeah. We don't like that, though. Um, one of my favorite things in superhero stories is when a villain becomes obsessed with defeating a hero, and the hero is like, yeah, I didn't even know you existed. <laughs> yeah. It's like Moondark thought, ah, Spider-Man's in town. He must be here to defeat me. Right. <laughs> so that's like another theme of these three books. and In addition to... Uh, werewolves is like underdeveloped villainy yeah yeah well he, you want to know what's wild this is not the last time we see moondark and it's actually not the last time we'll he, cover him on the show is this the first time we see moondark yes it's his first appearance but okay. he also shows up in marvel team up number 91 ghost rider 56 and 59 and web of spider-man annual number three well in marvel team up number 12 they don't say at all what the heck his deal is, do they? No. Nah. As far as I can tell. So we like, don't know what is his deal. We don't know what his plan is. Just that he's afraid Spider Man's gonna no. stop it. I also don't understand his powers because he can ch- take over an entire city but not Spider Man. So why? Right. How's that work? It's very you have, weird. Do you have to be native to uh Frisco in order to be taken over by <laughs> this guy? Apparently. I guess. Or is it just this one block that's taken over? I don't know. They don't really get into that stuff. So that part wasn't so great, but a lot of this is good. Yeah. Um, I like the art. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ross oh. Andrews' Spider-Man anyway. Um, totally. Uh, I, if not everything. I, I love his poses. I love the way he moves. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the coloring is a little weird. Like, that opening fight is apparently at... Uh, is it day? Is it night? It's apparently at nighttime. Good question. Right. But it doesn't look like it. it it's the first time I've ever seen Day for Night used in a comic. Yeah. So, um, here's an ignorant, I haven't done any research question. Why do you have to go to San Francisco to take pictures of Daredevil and Black Widow? They were living there at the time. Are they? Yeah, they, okay. they were both living on the West Coast. I did not know Daredevil was ever a West Coaster. Wow. Yeah. It actually came up more recently in comics because when when he was unable to practice law in... New York after he outed himself as Daredevil um, mm-hmm. he remembered that he was also licensed to practice law on the west coast and so he goes back to San Francisco for a while but he's Hell's Kitchen guy yeah that's just seems yeah but weird. this is before Frank Miller so there wasn't that 
symbiotic relationship between Daredevil and Hell's Kitchen yet. Uh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and they really weren't sure what else to do with Black Widow, so they teamed the two of them up. That's just his girlfriend yeah. now, yeah. Yeah. It also seems like they're working really hard to make sure that we as readers know what a big deal Luke Cage is, even though he's not in this book. They do talk about him, don't they? Was He, he was in the last issue, right? Yeah. Yeah, and he comes up several times. Well, he was in not not the last issue of Marvel Team Up, but he was a major adversary in Amazing Spider-Man at the time because he gets hired to take down Spider-Man after the death of Gwen Stacy. Yeah, okay. when when Spider-Man is is deemed a murderer. So speaking of that, does it seem at all flippant to you guys, like the way he refers to that in this by page two? Like, first my girl. The girl I love is murdered by the Green Goblin. Then I have to do laundry. Then yeah. go to the grocery store. Like, wow. And, I thought he was a little more devastated by that. And, and I feel like, just in terms of emotional trauma, there's a lot of falling off of bridges in this issue. Yep. <laughs> Good point. I didn't even think about that. Wow, yeah. I did. <laughs> also, Spider-Man, um, you killed Gwen Stacy. But we don't have to get into that. Right, right. right. I guess he doesn't realize that yet, or something. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm surprised he's not having PTSD flashbacks. Yeah, right, considering nothing. it was and last week at the latest. I'm, I'm assuming it's because it's Marvel team up and not Amazing Spider-Man, so they don't want to get into it too much. Probably. <laughs> so not even like uh, Peter being all flippant about it, but like Jonah's being flippant about it. So oh. Now hold on, Parker. I know why you yeah. want this. Definitely your girl and all, but the Daily Bugle's on a public welfare service. I'm like. Jesus, Jonah. Yeah, I guess Jameson. I guess I'm not surprised that Jonah's not into providing bereavement leave. Yeah. Especially for a you know not a work for hire or whatever he is. Uh, Right. But yeah, that that I could I could live with him being insensitive because he kind of is. But yeah, I don't know. Spider Man just seemed like he didn't care that much. But I'm probably putting too much into a, a team up book where they don't they just don't want to deal with that as much as his main title probably does right yeah and, and you i guess you don't want to you don't want to go too much into it because you don't want to leave out the people who are just getting the spider-man book and maybe you're gonna miss this one that too yeah but i could easily see imagine Jonah being like ah, I, ju- I got just a thing for you kid nice little assignment cross country take your mind off of things that's true because that's more of the Jonah I'm used to. Yeah. Well, thank goodness for Robbie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Well, Robbie's always been the nice guy of the two. Yeah. Like, but he like has a whole justification already laid out and ready to. Yes. They must like. Um. Well, I don't know what how they did things in '70s, but uh, they must like Parker's photos because it feels like you could just call Francisco and say, "Hey, take some pictures." Yeah. And then you know mail them to us instead of putting him on a flight. Right. True. They're so such. They're playing freelance photographers in San Francisco. Yeah, but they're not as good as getting hero shots as Peter. Somehow he can do it. Just don't ask him how, and he'll keep giving us photos. <laughs> Maybe Jonah role. should hire a, a private investigator to tail him. And you know, <laughs> oh wait, that didn't end well for him, did it? Hire hire, hire Luke no. Cage to take photos. <laughs> so I, I think my favorite part of the whole issue is actually in the middle of uh, the fight in the diner where Peter slowly goes from Parker to Spider-Man over the fight. 
Yes, his that clothes are just cool. getting like shredded, and it's just like I'm glad all these people are in a trance. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't really have him to worry about it because he's busy being scratched to death. That's pretty cool. But but that transformation from from Peter Parker to Spider Man is so much more visually interesting than the werewolf transformations we get. And if you're looking for a horror element, that's probably the creepiest part of this story is when they're all just in a trance, but then as she talks to the waitress, she starts screaming all the, like, invasion of the body snatchers. And that brings the werewolf. I guess that's what she's doing. They don't really explicitly explain it, but it seems like she's alerting the werewolf to Spider-Man's presence, and then he attacks. That that hadn't occurred to me. Yeah. Because he's like, because Peter's the only one who's not in a trance, therefore he must be Spider-Man, right? And, and it's not, and it's not a scream. It's like an alarm. It's 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 yeah. all ease. Oh, I thought it was pretty cool. I just actually I had no clue. Um, and, and again, we're not told what's going on with these trances. That's the that's yeah. the big the big problem with story overall is I don't understand one why he wants to fight Spider Man and two why he can't possess Spider Man like everybody else or how his possessions work or like does he know that Spider Man's Peter Parker now because Peter Parker talked and he should be in a trance or is it not that specific? Right. I guess not. It, and also, it, it's another inst of it feels like Golden Age villain motivations. Mm-hmm. Except we don't even get a motivation, like, at all. No. Yeah. That he has some sort of master plan. We don't know what. But whatever it is, he thinks Spider-Man's here to stop it. Apparently taking over San Francisco is not enough. Right. Like, that's better than most do, but... Right. And, I mean, I guess we would find out if we were to read the the next issue of Daredevil and Black Widow, but where are the heroes of San Francisco during all of this? Yeah. Possessed, I guess. Uh, Maybe. It's funny, I was just reading for uh, that show you guys snagged me away from. I was reading uh, Daredevil first encountering Purple Man, who also has similar powers, just not on this level. And he was immune to that. Oh, right, because he can't, he doesn't see it. I guess because he can't see it. They don't really say why, but yeah. yeah. Um, eventually, so, eventually they like pheromone based or something. Yeah, they kind of do that with this with that issue too, because they talk about how he struggles, but he overcomes it because of his super senses or something. Okay. So I don't know. The very vague Daredevil super senses. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I knew there was a branch above me because I heard leaves rustling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I actually took a peek at the Daredevil issue that comes after this. And this is apparently before the point where Daredevil's like, yeah, I know Peter Parker, Spider-Man. I've known him for years. Because <laughs> it makes sense that he would. Yeah, right. if he knows who Peter Parker is, then he knows who Spider-Man is, yeah. But... Right, because as far... Like, he would sense the same yeah. person. If he knows the secret identity of any hero he meets, he should know immediately that that's who they are. But yeah. they don't touch on that there. No. I do like that he's gone off to San Francisco to take the Daredevil and Black Widow. Mm-hmm. And it does get carried over into Daredevil and Black Widow. That's nice. Now, right. is the wolf guy, uh, wolf guy, werewolf, is he only in San Francisco for this issue? Or has he actually been traveling this way also? He's West Coast based. Um, they mentioned Elog at some point. That he was just hanging that, out in between uh, moons. Yeah. That, so they're, they're in between phases of the moon. Uh, so he has some time to be human. And so he's trying to rest and relax makes sense so he goes to san francisco yeah um, he and his um sister and um boyfriend boyfriend right um 
are basically kind of driving around California right now. Okay. Where she knows that he's the werewolf. The best friend doesn't know he's the werewolf. Oh, really? I didn't know that dynamic. Okay. How's that happen? We're pretty sure the best friend knows he's the werewolf. (laughs) But, but he, but, Okay. Yeah. Well, because the best friend is also a reporter. If you ever watched the the show Kolchak the Night Stalker, I the best friend it. is very much in that model. Okay. Um, sort of the the investigator who is almost willing to believe in the weird okay. supernatural stuff. Um, you you don't know Kolchak? You play the Incredible Hulk TV show, right? Sure. Okay. Buck Cohen is Mr. McGee. Oh, all right. He, he is straight up Mr. McGee, don't make me angry, you wouldn't like him, I'm an angry guy. But they're in love? Because Mr. McGee is not lovable. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> That's our headcanon. Yeah. Oh, all but right. The, the, they're just a little bit close, and when he decides he's not going to live with his stepfather anymore, he moves in with Buck Cohen. Okay. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of, like, masculine shirtlessness going on. Sure. As yeah. one does with werewolves. <laughs> well, not even in his werewolf persona. It's like, are you going to turn to werewolf right now? No. Why? Well, you don't have your shirt, so. <laughs> yeah, that, there's a lot of that. Yeah, I like the forced transformation scene. That was cool in terms of visually. Yeah. Um, except for Dark Face, whatever his name is, just kind of looks stupid in general. But, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, having Andrew on the art helps the fight scenes a lot. Uh, oh, like yeah. It, it, fight scenes like are it, good. It's literally night and day between this and the issue we just looked at of Werewolf. Werewolf's actually a pretty good, you know, not that he's a villain, he's a good adversary for Spider-Man, because Spider-Man likes the animalistic bad guys anyway. So it kind of fits, like, yeah. this thing that's slashing and shredding and almost, probably as strong and as fast as he is. You know, it makes for a good fight. Yeah, sort of like... Uh, a right scene or something like that. Lizard or Puma or Craven or, yeah, all those things. Not that Craven's an animal, but, you know. He's animal-themed. He's animal-themed, yeah. yeah. He's got a lion, uh, you know, scarf or whatever he wears. <laughs> but, no, I, I checked. We're, next session of Werewolf by Night is back in Los Angeles. Okay, so it's just a one-off. Yeah. I have a feeling Team-Up probably does a lot with characters. Yes. I'm in town for one night. Yep, I just decided to come visit over here for no reason. Right. And in this case, like you said, James, it's just convenient that it's able to then tie into the next crossover issue uh, of Daredevil. Right. Which I'm wondering who was writing Daredevil at the time. That I don't know. Yeah. I'm only on Daredevil 4. So <laughs> I got ways to go. Black Widow's still a Russian spy. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever read that era of Daredevil. Although. No, I'm looking forward to it in my Marvel read through. Oh, it's it's Chris Claremont. Wow. Oh, wow. I didn't know he wrote Daredevil. Yeah. I, I can okay. setting Daredevil and Black Widow together. Like, that's yeah. the kind of soap opera type stuff that I could see him doing well. He likes writing women. Yeah. He's good at it anyway. Whether he likes it or not, I've never heard him say. But Oh, no, never mind. The, the, the issue where Spider-Man actually appears is Steve Gerber, so... Ah. That works, too. Yeah, it does. We've been seeing a lot of his work lately, so... Yeah. This is kind of the point where Steve Gerber starts writing of the weird stuff in Marvel Universe. Someone has to. Yeah. So, yeah, I I, I think, I don't know what you guys think, but I'm pretty sure this uh, team-up was my favorite of the three issues. Although the Captain America is pretty close. Well, Cap one better. Um, 
but I'll back that with more than just fanboyism and say that I think it was just a more haunting story. It's it's the most horrific for sure. Yeah, like Ross Andrew is a better artist than that guy whose name escapes me already, Alan Wise, I think. But uh, like he also just is not drawing, Not to, I don't know, he's not drawing anything in particularly scary. It's like just a straight up superhero fight, essentially. Yeah, I guess that sets me up as a tiebreaker. Right. right. I'm actually going to... Or you go. could pick the middle one. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I'm actually going to go with the Captain America issue. The yes. atmosphere was really good here. The artwork is still good. I mean, the the Marvel team-up is fun and all, but, you know, this episode comes out the day before July 4th, and gosh darn it, I'm proud to be an American. And there I and go. I gotta I gotta go with Cap here. <laughs> That's fair. Again, I'm probably a little biased. I'm a little more of a Spidey guy than a Cap guy, and so the the Andrew Spider Man fight scenes just they they hit all the right uh, buttons for me. But but I I totally get Cap being the better horror story. I mean, yeah. the Nick Fury outfit alone. God damn it! <laughs> True. I I still want to know where that. From. <laughs> I want to know somebody's cosplayed it. <laughs> That's an idea. I mean, they may have, but it was actually just a gay club in the 1970s. <laughs> Maybe that's where he's coming from. <laughs> I was undercover. It's a so, Hydra cover, I promise. So, so James, the next time we see Roy Thomas, we need to take a printout of that panel and ask him, <laughs> ask him what the hell happened. And then oh, security will dear. escort us away. <laughs> Man, someone out there must have the answer. But maybe maybe there is no answer. That's the scary part. Yeah. Oh, so I think we should take another quick break just so I can get my composure back. That sounds good. And we'll be right back with our guest Michael Kaiser after this break. Fruit, quiet. Fruit. I'm me, Fruit Brut, with my fruit-flavored cereal, Fruit Brut, part of your nutritious breakfast. True on you! But delicious Fruit Brut has fruit-flavored marshmallows for the howling good taste of fruit. Count Chocula's got chocolate marshmallows. Frankenberry's got strawberry-flavored marshmallows. Fruit! Fruit Brut, with a howling good taste of fruit. Burger Chef, it's Wolfburger the Werewolf. Where can I get delicious burgers? Where can I get fun, fun food? Where, oh where? At, At Burger, Burger Chef. Chef. Where? And now at participating Burger Chefs, you can buy fun meals that now come on Halloween magic meal trays. There's a magic trick in each fun meal. <laughs> there are ten different magic meal tricks you can collect. Burger Chef, you're incredible. <laughs> Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. And, uh, uh, uh James, y- y- you've got the Necronomicon again. Uh-oh. Yeah? Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to send Michael back. Um, there's, let's see, there's a jet, but that might just launch you through the ceiling. Um... <laughs> You don't want to do that after we escaped that one time. That thing's been reinforced with adamantium. You do not want to go through it. I probably don't. Yeah, no, just... Why don't you guys just talk amongst yourselves while I figure this out? Yeah, so, um, Michael, where can people reach you? Uh, what uh, Do you have anything you want to plug or, or uh, promote here? Um, well, 
I do a podcast with that guy you kidnapped earlier, or you know, previously, um, John Wilson. We do a show called Make Ours Marvel, where we've been covering every, I guess we should say, superhero comic anyway, from Fantastic Four number one on up. We kind of skip over the models and the Millies and stuff, but um, yeah, we're currently at August of 1964 with 60 plus episodes or something under our belt. You could find that at makearsmarvel.com or just search Make Ours Marvel in your uh, in your favorite app, hopefully. it It's a really good show and I highly recommend it. I've been reading along with it and I've really enjoyed it. Um, quick question. Um, how attached are you to having your brain stay within your body? Um, you know, I've never tried it any other way, so I'm not sure. It, it's fine. It's, it's, I'll, okay. I'll find something. Hold on. Uh, Trey, why don't you tell them where we can, where they can find us? Absolutely. So uh, we are Tomb of Ideas. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Tomb of Ideas. Um, you can reach us by email, tombofideas at gmail.com. Um, and, of course, we are part of the Cinepunks podcast group, so you can find more of their great shows and content at cinepunks.com. Check out uh, some of their other shows. Uh, available wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, and please like, subscribe, review. If you have feedback or comments, let us know at any of the uh, various contact methods. Aha! Y- you find something? Yeah. Exercise podcast host. Oh, that sounds promising. That is weirdly specific. Isn't it, though? When was this book written? Um... Copyright dates. Um, apparently, it's pornographic because copyright date says XXX. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's weird. Sounds like a fun read. Yeah, there, there are drawings. Um, so, <laughs> let's go ahead and try this one, and hope we don't make a mess. Well, I just want to say uh, before you before you kill me and or me back to where i'm supposed to be one if you guys don't hear another podcast episode of make ours marvel you can blame uh, these guys here and two uh thanks for abducting me and talking werewolves it was kind of fun except for the kidnapping part we enjoyed it too yeah we should do, totally do this again sometime um assuming of course you survive sure because i have no <laughs> yeah. choice sure yeah um okay let's try this for walla haitene we Glera, Gatline, Sode, et. Oh, oh. Uh, there he goes. Oh, cool. Bye. I learned to exercise a podcast host. I'm going to keep you that sh- yeah, in mind for later. Bookmark that page. Um, Definitely. So, I think now that it's just us again, that wraps it up for this episode of Tomb of Ideas. Right, and like we said before, please make sure to drop us a line. Let us know what you thought of the episode and the comics we discussed. You can always reach us at our email address, tombofideas at gmail.com, and of course our Twitter, at tombofideas. And please, for the love of God, if you know what's going on with that Nick Fury panel, please tell us. Definitely, because it's going to keep me awake at night. I mean, usually the rats keep me awake at night, but this too. Yeah, they get kind of bitey. All right, Tomb Believers. Until next time. Bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror 
podcast. Until next time, Toonverse Excelsior. Ha, 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 ha,